0: Alright. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique. I'm joined as always by the second half, or maybe the first half,
1: of the two man gang. Ryan, what's up? Not a whole lot, man. Just enjoying the brisk St. Louis weather. It was negative four when I went out this morning.
0: Mm-hmm. And it actually, for the
1: first time I can really remember, one of the cars wouldn't start mm-hmm. because of the cold. Yeah, when I woke up it was negative 6 so the wind chill 25.
0: Oh, so it's warming up. <laughs>
1: yeah, Kim, yeah, Kim's been like it's, it's not that cold down here because she's from Polo. Yeah. About 4 hours north of here, 250 ish miles, something like that. She was showing me pictures that her family was sending her. Just feet of snow. And mm-hmm. they live right across from a school and they plow that lot. Mm-hmm. It's like a mountain. I mean, I've yeah. legit gone up there in like march or april and there's still you know an eight foot tall mound of snow because it just takes so long for it all to melt and it's so cold up there she's like i wish we lived up there i was like in a (laughs) frozen wasteland that looks a lifeless wasteland and she was like yeah where it snows it's like no dude
0: it does bring back memories of when i was a little kid and i lived in a in an apartment complex and they would pile the snow up like that and we would dig snow caves in it that was so much yeah. fun we and,
1: would do that in school and then we'd get mm-hmm. in trouble because the teachers would freak out because we were all they look outside and it's like uh like 30 kids are missing what's going on and we're yeah. all in this snow tunnel.
0: we've developed our own under snow society here in middle earth
1: <laughs> yeah we're holding elections right now could you come uh come back later
0: yeah, it's the Lord of the Flies and you're out. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway. How are you
1: enjoying the cold?
0: Man, I, I like the snow. I really do. I, I mean, I don't snowboard or anything. We, we sled. There's a nice little uh, place for us to sled where we can walk to from here. It's, you know, like a quarter mile. and uh, It's a lot of fun. We, we don't have that much snow, though. It's It was just a kind of a Thick dusting, I guess, maybe. Uh, but if it's if it's really cold like this and there's a ton of snow, I'm cool with it. But if it's cold like this and there's nothing, it just feels awful. Like there's there's yeah. nothing redeeming about negative twenty two and you know no snow and just yeah. grey.
1: Yeah, it's giving me uh, flashbacks to last last year around this time. Like leaving the bar at about 2am, wind chills negative 20, it's like me and one of the girls who works there, and it's like, just make sure at least one of our cars starts so we know nobody's trapped, but no snow, no redeeming qualities to it.
0: Yeah, it's not so bad with my truck, because if it will start in the cold, I have no problems just leaving it running to warm up. Uh, Because it's a stick shift, and I know these people that are, you know, the highway, or not highway, driveway bandits aren't going to know how to drive a stick shift. There's driveway thefts, you know, fairly often in the nice areas around St. Louis. You know, people just go out, oh, car's warming up, steal it. All right, well, you want to tell them what they need to know?
1: Yeah, please like, share, subscribe, help us out. Email us at Podcast at gmail.com if you have suggestions or feedback or you just want to say, hey, you can see what we're selling at crypticpodcaststore.com. You can help us keep the lights on at buymeacoffee.com. Warm us (laughs) up. Yeah, keep the servers warm at buymeacoffee.com slash crypticpi. And all the rest of the socials will be in the show notes.
0: For sure. What are we talking about tonight?
1: We are talking about a man who made animal sacrifices, covered his face in tattoos, filed his teeth to sharp points, bathed once a year, claimed he could control the weather. (laughs) Which
0: is a great skill. You can put that on a resume, it will separate you from your competitors.
1: And was trying to be what people were afraid of. I I keep wanting to make, like, comic book guy jokes from The Simpsons, like, bathe once a year, stuff like that. Anyway.
0: I don't understand the bathing once a year thing. It's like, well, why do it at all? You know, it's like exercising once a
1: year. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. And this person still managed to snag two fiancés who assisted him with murder. And he also told people that he was the gatekeeper of hell. Boom. which maybe that's true or at least he was trying to look the part
0: well his house looked like hell so
1: yeah maybe so this that's... is the case of pazuzu Algarad. you want to get into it
0: sure pazuzu Algarad, who openly declared himself a satanist dedicated his time to macabre rituals within the confines of his residence His sinister activities included conducting animal sacrifices, indulging in blood rituals, and hosting disturbing orgies. The culmination of his reign of terror only occurred when law enforcement intervened, leading to his arrest and subsequent murder charges, bringing an unsettling chapter to a close. In his early years, a former babysitter, painted a seemingly contradictory picture of Pazuzu, labeling him as a good kid despite instances of abusive behavior towards his mother. Shockingly, at the tender age of eight or nine, his mother had deemed it necessary to place him in a mental hospital. So to start Hmm. off, she sees that there's a problem, you know, by, by eight or nine to the point where she has to, you know, put him in inpatient mental care and that's that's pretty scary you know if a kid that's that young you know we don't have a obviously you know the records are all sealed and we don't have much information on it but you would think that that would mean like threatening mom with a weapon or you know saying he's going to hurt himself or somebody else so that's that's really young for that yeah but upon visiting him the babysitter's perspective shifted and she began to believe that it was the mother, not the young Pazuzu, who required psychiatric intervention. Patricia Gillespie, the creator behind the documentary series The Devil You Know, delving into Pazuzu Algorod's life, highlighted the challenges of understanding his true narrative. Algorod proved to be a master of distortion, consistently reshaping stories from his childhood. The skillful manipulation made it difficult for those attempting to unravel the layers of his past, leaving an enigmatic trail that added to the unsettling mystique around him. You know what to do when we say enigmatic. Frank. As Gillespie put it, quote, he told people he was from Iraq. He told people his father was some sort of high priest. But people who knew him as a child described him as a little off kilter, a little emotional, things that might indicate the beginning of a mental illness, harming animals, consuming alcohol and drugs at a very early age. End quote. Cynthia, Algarad's mother, openly discussed the early onset of her son's mental health challenges, revealing diagnoses of schizophrenia and agoraphobia that plagued him from a young age. Despite the severity of his condition, Cynthia initially sought psychiatric assistance. She sought psychiatric help for him originally. But as we see so often, financial constraints became a significant barrier to sustaining the necessary mental health support. So she wasn't able to get him everything that he needed. And I think that there would be there would be a way for her to you know, keep him locked up. If she knew the uh, resources available, if she was able to connect with a social worker, uh, if she had done a little bit more, and I'm not blaming this part of this story on her, but if she had looked into it, I I think that she would have been able to find a way to keep him, you know, getting getting the support that he needed. I I don't know that the state would like... Turn a 10-year-old away and be like, oh no, you have schizophrenia, but you don't have money, so you're fucked. So yeah. it, it's kind of a swing and a miss on that one, I think. And and that's that's a real shame, as we'll find out later. But as the funds dwindled, so did Algorod's access to crucial treatment, resulting in a swift deterioration of his mental well-being. In a desperate attempt to cope, Cynthia resorted to buying him alcohol on a daily basis. Does that sound like a good idea?
1: Not really. My uh, personal thing, my grandpa, my paternal grandpa, um, his father died during the Spanish flu epidemic. Mm -hmm. And his stepfather, they were farmers. His stepfather Mm -hmm. would feed him alcohol. It's like a little kid, like four to like eight or nine or whatever, like would just feed him booze to get him drunk they all thought it was funny like the farmhands and him mm. and he had issues his entire life yeah because of it so now not a good idea i mean some people i don't know i don't know if any parent actually thinks like that it's fun or funny to yeah. give their kid a little bit of booze i mean when you you know you have your older kid, you could give like a sip of wine or something like here, you can try this or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. you go to church, you have a little bit of wine there. Like you can Mm -hmm. try this or whatever. You can try a little sip of this Bacardi silver to find out that it's tastes horrific on its own. And you probably never want (laughs) to drink it. Yeah. But to like do it on a regular basis. Yeah. It it causes like lifelong problems potentially.
0: And I think at this point we're talking more of like 14 or 15, but that's, that's still way, 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 way too young. And now, you know, we talk about our kind of lack of faith in pharmaceutical companies and how they, you know, make medicine for things that we really don't need, Mm -hmm. uh, that have just these terrible side effects and stuff. And we know that there's a lot of um, research that says, you know, marijuana is good for a lot of things, but I, I don't think that it's it's even good for uh, schizophrenia, but when people try and self-medicate with alcohol, that is a recipe for disaster and your mother's teaching you, Oh, well we can't afford healthcare. So just, you know, getting drunk every day is a good answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, it's a really common thing to develop. It's not necessarily that people just like love alcohol so much. It's, Becomes a coping mechanism or a self-medication thing, like you're saying. In a
0: candid interview, she confessed to deliberately overlooking his engagement in methamphetamine use, citing her deep love for him as a conflicting force against taking stricter measures. And that's really sad, too, because I I think what we're seeing here is what the babysitter talked about, right? It's the mom that needed help or, or she at least needed help. As well, um, it, we see you know situations where people have just kids that are extremely obese, and and they say, well, I just love them so much that I just want to give them so much candy and cookies and stuff like that, and it's it's not healthy. But the intricate dance between a mother's love and the harsh reality of mental health struggles paints a complex picture of the environment that contributed to Pazuzu's troubled existence. In an interview for The Devil You Know, Cynthia said, quote, he wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a boogeyman or whatever phrases people have called him, end quote. But what happened in 2002?
1: Oh, he changed his name to Pazuzu Illa Algorod, an homage to the Assyrian demon referenced in the movie The Exorcist.
0: And the demon we talked about in the Zozo, the Ouija board demon episode. So if you want to know more about that, go back and listen to that.
1: Following the name change, he embarked on a deliberate mission to distance himself from societal norms. Sharpening your teeth and stuff like that will help with that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, So this (laughs) manifested in the extreme physical alterations like the tattoos and the teeth. His outward appearance, along with these claims of who he was and, like, what his role was as a gatekeeper, created an aura of menace around him. As he asserted that he regularly participated in animal sacrifices and possessed the supernatural ability to control the weather. Which, I don't know, I guess I need to see more pictures of the guy to see if it would really be menacing.
0: Oh, he's...
1: Uh, Because I think about the lunatics that I see walking down like Washington Avenue in Mm -hmm. the middle of the night or like the individuals outside, like the BP on South Grand. Yeah. In the middle of the day, like asking if you got any money, got any change? Mm -hmm. Because you'll hear a lot of interesting theories from them, too. But uh, in addition to these behaviors, mental health professionals noted alarming neglect uh, in his personal hygiene. Reports indicate that he bathed infrequently, reporting reportedly no more than once a year, and neglected basic dental care for an extended period. He also justified this neglect by espousing a particular belief that personal hygiene stripped the body of its natural defenses against infection and illness. Interesting theory. He wanted to create like a stank cocoon <laughs> to protect himself from the outside world. Uh, the action, his actions constituted yeah. a blatant rebellion against the values of Clemens and it's predominantly Christian residents.
0: So he's, he's in Clemens, North Carolina, and it's kind of a Bible belt town. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's trying to scare the good Christians
1: away. Yeah. And he's very much trying to make himself like a Charles Manson type character to just menace, you know, be a menace in this town. Yeah. And to that end, Algorod wielded a partic- a, uh, peculiar charisma that attracted those marginalized by society, drawing them into a world of debauchery and chaos. Yes. Which is a good album name, world of debauchery and chaos. There go. The parallel with Manson's ability to captivate and influence outcasts highlights a dangerous allure that this person possessed. His rejection of societal norms and calculated eccentricities not only isolated him, but served as a magnet for those seeking refuge from the mainstream, ultimately fostering a toxic environment of rebellion and depravity, which it's, I don't know, I'm kind of interested in the kind of person who would follow somebody like that because we're, we doing this show and probably quite a few of the people listening to this are not super into like normal mainstream societal norms, but we're also not going to stop bathing and sharpen our teeth and all this stuff. Right. Like we're working normal jobs and raising families and all that sort of thing
0: yeah i I mean we're contributing to society and and he did not he well he contributed but negatively uh this story is going to get real dark as we Uh, go ahead yeah
1: so uh his former friend nate anderson would later say that he had a twisted sort of charisma it's the kind of charisma that isn't going to appeal to everyone but certain minds are going to be drawn in by that. The misfits, the outcasts, people living on the edge, or people who wanted to live on the edge. Yeah,
0: wannabes.
1: Yeah, yeah, wannabes. Similar to Charles Manson, Pazuzu Algarad possessed a magnetic charisma that extended to his relationships with the fairer sex, which is part of this. I'm not sure how much I want to get into.
0: Maybe not part of the fairer sex in this case they they had some problems too.
1: Okay. Yeah, when you said wannabe. Have you ever seen a show called Moonlight? No. It was on not Moonlighters, but it was on in the early 2000s I want to say. Mm-hmm. It was a vampire show and it was like a reimagining. I think it only lasted one season. But it was just a reimagining of like what a vampire was and how they would interact in our society. And one of the, it might be the first episode or the first like storyline. There are vampire killings in LA. Okay. And they're trying to find who it is. And immediately this vampire who's a private investigator realizes this is not a vampire because there's still blood in the body. Like Mm -hmm. a vampire would have just drained him. And there's an older vampire that he's friends with. Who's like, you got to clean this up, man. We can't have people thinking vampire. Mm-hmm. and he's like no it's fine and it, the older one's like no dude you're only 100 you've never been chased by a torch bearing mob you gotta get this <laughs> figured out Um, but yeah he comes back and he tells him like no it's just a human they're just they're using this like ceremonial thing for sacrifices and he's like what about the blood and he goes you hit an artery you're gonna get some of that and he goes so you're telling me some wannabe with a Snoop Dogg chalice is out there killing people and drinking the blood and he's like yeah something like that
0: Wow. he's like kill
1: him and he goes there's more than one suspect and he goes kill them all that's what I would do terrible <laughs> yeah you tell me there's a wannabe out there drinking blood out of a Snoop Dogg chalice it,
0: it happens
1: <laughs> yeah probably the kind of out, outcast that would have been attracted by this guy alright so back to his lady friends Notably, Amber Birch and Crystal Matlock were identified as his known fiancés, both of whom were frequent visitors to his unconventional abode, or we might just call it a lair. Uh, Amber Birch's involvement took a dark turn when she was later found guilty of second-degree murder in connection with the death of Tommy Dean Welch. The web of Algorod's influence and its consequences also entangled Crystal Matlock. Accused of assisting in burying Josh Wetzler, Matlock eventually pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact. These relationships were not merely romantic entanglements, but played integral roles in the unfolding tragedy associated with Algorod's House of Horrors. The intertwining narratives of these women highlight the complex dynamics within Algorod's orbit, where his persuasive charm and manipulative influence extended beyond the confines of his own actions, ensnaring those closest to him In criminality and despair. In a 2014 interview, a woman named Bianca Heath said that she stayed at his home for a month in 2005. She claimed that he spoke proudly to her about killing and eating two prostitutes, after which he allegedly claimed he burned their bodies and buried their remains.
0: And she's still sticking around. Mm. Pretty scary.
1: Yeah, you want to talk about the house?
0: yeah so let's talk about the house and and if you're watching this on youtube you know we're going to have slides put up throughout this and you'll get to see exactly what his house looked like but pazuzu algarad's residence at twenty seven forty nine knob hill drive transcended the conventional notion of a home evolving into a sinister hub for societal outcasts and misfits within the chilling confines of this dwelling Individuals found an open invitation to stay indefinitely, with Algorod exhibiting an utter lack of concern for their actions under his roof. The atmosphere within Pazuzu's house was one of unchecked chaos and lawlessness, where visitors understood that norms held no sway. Peculiar and disturbing activities became common, from urinating on the carpet, engaging in physical altercations throwing knives to smashing bottles with reckless abandon. Hmm. Algorod's indifference to the unfolding anarchy was reflected in the contents of his dishwasher, which reportedly housed an assortment of what could only be described as, quote, serious weapons, adding an unsettling layer to the house's ambiance. Could you imagine, like, hey, uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm finished with this uh, glass of water. I'm going to stick it in the dishwasher. Oh, you've got bloody axes and swords and machetes and guns in there. Okay. Well, you know, you do you, do you with your dishwasher and I'll use mine to clean dishes. <laughs> uh, drug use was rampant and carried no judgment in the house. The repertoire of activities inside Algorod's home included self-harm. The gruesome act of drinking the blood of birds, conducting rabbit sacrifices, which I know hits home with you, indulging in copious amounts of drugs and staging orgies that mirrored scenes from a nightmarish underworld. The physical state of the house mirrored the psychological descent within its walls. We see that a lot, right? Like You can tell not everything, but you can tell some things about people and how they keep their house right? Like my house is pretty organized and pretty clean. Now I've got three dogs. So if something drops on the floor, I'm not eating it, but they will. But, you know, we see when we go like a hoarder's home, I think is a good example, because that's a lot what this looks like. Only this is almost all garbage. But, you know, when you walk into a hoarder's home, you don't think like, oh, well, they just don't keep house very well. You think, oh, my gosh, this person has a serious mental condition and they need help. And that's that's what this house was like. Yeah.
1: And no, I was just going to say, yeah, you'll find that in a hoarder's house, there's like some underlying cause for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kind of trauma in their past where they were without something or whatever a friend of mine her mom was a bad hoarder but they were she was very organized
0: mm-hmm.
1: and their basement was basically like uh like a bodega hmm. they were just shelves of stuff it was like whatever you needed soap clothes yeah shower curtains rugs like they just can't cheap her mother constantly bought stuff and like stocked this area and when her mother passed away they brought in like a bunch of friends and kind of let them go through stuff. And then they brought in like local charities and we like, basically just go shopping. Like whatever you need, soaps, clothes, mm-hmm. brushes, like all kinds of stuff. It's there, but there's, there's usually some kind of reason. Yeah. And like you said, it's not garbage. It's like something that they think they're going to use.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this house was the opposite. It was squalid, Ryan.
1: Squalid. Well, the, yeah, the pictures, which I'll have going during the video, will. The only true. house I've ever seen that came close to it was an abandoned farmhouse I found. Mm-hmm. Like years and years ago, I, I happened to be driving by in my truck and I was like, oh, I never even noticed that there's a little house like way out there in this field that I've never seen anybody at. And here's, mm-hmm. Like, I think there's an old path. I bet I can make it up there with this thing. And I went and like, it's obvious that high schoolers or young college kids or whatever have been partying in there, but like the floors were falling through. There were beer cans everywhere. Like it's clear that people had just been partying there and just left all their trash, but nobody was actively living there. It was literally an abandoned house in some woods that I just happened to be able to see because it was fall and the leaves were starting to fall off.
0: So this, this environment we'll call it, uh, was just garbage, scattered animal carcasses and blood smeared across the walls. Now it's one thing to, I don't know if I can even say it like people, I understand that sometimes, you know, people that live in houses like this will like throw their old McDonald's bag down. But if you have, you know, rotting animal carcasses in your house, that is a definite cause for disease. So it's, it's taken it to a whole new level when you have animal carcasses laying around. The degradation of the living space surpassed even the extremes witnessed on the show Hoarders, where the very concept of cleanliness and order was eclipsed by the overwhelming presence of filth. In Pazuzu Algorod's domain, everything seemed to be engulfed in a haunting chaos, reflecting the depths of depravity and darkness that permeated the very essence of this house of horrors. The ominous atmosphere within Pazuzu's house extended beyond the chaotic activities to the physical embodiment of decay and malevolence. The interior was shrouded in perpetual darkness with an overpowering stench of decay. The property itself became a canvas for the macabre, as satanic messages and pentagrams were meticulously painted all over, leaving an indelible mark of the sinister forces at play. How intense was this horror, Ryan? Uh, It
1: necessitated extreme precautions. Yes. Which seems like an understatement. Mm -hmm. Investigators faced with the gruesome uh, or grotesque scenes unfolding. I guess both of those really work Were, were yeah. compelled to don hazmat suits, emphasizing the hazardous and repulsive nature of the environment that they were navigating through. The protective gear served as a shield against the physical and psychological toll of probing the depths of this malevolent realm. In the midst of the abject squalor and eerie juxtaposition emerged when considering Cynthia's room. His mom. Within this house at night, yeah, within this house of nightmares, Cynthia's living quarters stood out as an immaculate sanctuary. A stark contrast to the surrounding chaos. I hadn't realized going through this that he was still living in his family home. Yeah. That he had taken over the rest of it and his mom had this little island of livability. Yeah. His peculiar dichotomy added another layer of mystery hinting at a fragmented semblance of normalcy in a realm dominated by the grotesque. The Vice special, aptly titled The Devil You Know, which we've been talking about through this, provided a chilling glimpse into the investigator's harrowing journey. The revelations painted a haunting picture of a dwelling where darkness reigned, and the very air seemed to carry the weight of malevolence.
0: And, yeah, I, I mean, when you smell rotting animal carcasses, presumably some that are, you know, months and years old. Yeah. It's going to smell like malevolence, but we'll tell you all about his crimes after a quick break. Welcome back, Grip Keepers. You want to keep going?
1: Yeah. So this story takes a chilling turn in October of 2010 when Pazuzu Algorod faced charges related to the discovery of a body on his property. However, this revelation was predated by a series of ominous events. In September of that year, the lifeless body of Joseph Emmerich Chandler was uncovered in Yadkin County. Algorod found himself accused not of committing the murder, but of withholding critical information and providing shelter... To a suspect involved in the crime, which seems like something you do. Nicholas Rizzi, implicated in Chandler's demise, despite claiming the incident was an accident, faced charges of involuntary manslaughter. His assertion of accidental circumstances led to a subsequent 13 month prison sentence. The unsettling details of this case unveiled a web of concealment and complicity. All right, months before this revelation in February of 2010, attempts to unearth potential remains in Pazuzu's backyard yielded no results. Bloodhounds, specifically trained as cadaver dogs, failed to detect any signs of what was about to be found. Subsequent efforts by the Sheriff's Department to employ ground-penetrating radar were delayed, yet the urgency prevailed, leading to the execution of a search warrant. The search warrant saga took an even darker turn when an unsealed document post the defendant's sentencing exposed another encounter. Pazuzu's mother approached investigators recounting a moment when she heard a gunshot from within the house. Rushing to the source, she allegedly witnessed Amber Birch holding a gun over the lifeless body of Tommy Dean Welch. Despite this revelation, when asked for permission to search the premises, Cynthia denied access. The denial raised questions of probable cause, particularly given the gravity of the witnessed incident. Yeah, you can't tell the cops that I saw somebody... I heard a gunshot, saw a woman holding a gun over a body in my house. But you can't come in.
0: Yeah, that is a big deal in this case because that may have saved a life. It's really sad that, you know, they're, they're bound by, Hey, we need to have evidence that we can prove in court that this person committed whatever crime. And then also, well, maybe we can't prosecute this person. Maybe, you know, if we, if we feel we have probable cause and we kick the door in, then maybe the judge will say you had no right to go in. So none of this evidence is admissible, but you could have also saved a life. So what's more important, Uh you know, and, and I'm not necessarily blaming the police in this because it's, it's a hard decision to make and I wouldn't want to have to be the one to make that decision because it seems like almost like a damned. If you do damned, if you don't, but if you're damned, if you do, and you can save a life, it's worth it. Right. I mean, it's, it's undeniable that saving a life is more important than being able to prosecute somebody. But it's sure. a it's a tough yeah. situation.
1: Yeah, and this got a little bit more confused because Johnny Law basically believed that Cynthia's motives were to single out Birch for the murder. Mm-hmm. Because Birch had been put in jail for assaulting Cynthia previously, just the night before. Right. Cynthia's um stance of love and forgiveness towards Birch added another layer to the story and just confused things worse. Yeah. The whole thing was just strange family dynamics, weird coincidences, dishonesty. It just kind of cast this fog over the whole situation that would have been, I'm sure really hard to figure out because a lot of what the law has to deal with is motive. You have to be able to usually prove intent for a lot of this stuff. If you're really trying to go after somebody and like, like you said, you have to be able to show I had a reason to go in there so I can use what I found.
0: Well, you have to be able to prove, um, you don't have to be able to prove motive. And I think that the justice system is kind of, you know, shying away. It used to be means, motive, and opportunity. You had to prove all three for a person to be convicted. And usually it's it, the motive is one of the easiest things to prove, mm-hmm. but I think that now they're kind of shying away and saying, well, it doesn't matter why it just matters that you could, and you did, and it doesn't yeah. matter why you wanted to kill the person. It just matters that you
1: did. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. All right. So this stuff got even worse when, uh, the mother provided another story in an interview. She recounted hearing a series of unsettling pops and discovered her son holding a rifle with the lifeless body of Josh Wetzel sprawled on the floor. Instead of intervening or seeking help, she retreated to her room, contemplating her next move, a move that would haunt the narrative with its callous indifference, choosing to do nothing. She decided to leave for work, sealing herself in her room and expressing a disturbing resolve of, I'm just going to let them do their thing.
0: Crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, you know, your, your son may go to prison for the rest of his life, but you may be able to save his soul if you... Well, and somebody
1: run. else's son is dead on your floor.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and just to go into your room and say, not my circus, not my monkeys... I'm not yep. dealing with this.
0: Mm-hmm. It's something most of us couldn't even fathom, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a bizarre situation, but, you know, we'll we'll go on to talk a little bit more about uh, Cynthia. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. And the admission is one of the first times where we see that she is really admitting that she's turning a blind eye to potentially crimes up to murder within her own house. Mm-hmm. So when she returned, the body had been moved, and uh, we have another event on October 5th of 2014, when we finally have sort of a reckoning. Both Pazuzu and his fiance Amber Birch found themselves in handcuffs after skeletal remains were unearthed in their backyard. The victims were identified as Joshua Frederick Wetzler and Tommy Dean Welch, individuals who had mysteriously vanished back in 2009. The gruesome discovery unveiled a timeline of horrors that had unfolded over the years within the confines of this lair. The chilling details, because I like calling it a lair more than I a home am. or an abode or anything. Sure. The chilling details of Algorod's mother's indifference and the subsequent arrests marked a turning point, thrusting the horrors hidden within the house into the glaring light of justice. As the skeletal remains revealed the extent of the atrocities, the statement, we all made bad choices, echoed encapsulating the dark legacy left behind by Pazuzu Agarod and those entangled in his web of malevolence.
0: And I don't think that bad choices can be used to describe this because a a bad choice is, Oh, I'm going to have three chili dogs for breakfast. There's a lot of things that can be considered a bad choice, but, but allowing your, son and his fiancees and you know friends to commit murder at your house and not do anything about it and then calling that a bad choice shows kind of her cynthia his mother's kind of disconnect with reality as well i think i mean calling it a bad choice is unacceptable could you imagine hearing that if you know it was your kid and they're like yeah well we made a bad choice
1: yeah yeah it's Just shows, like, such a detachment from reality. Yeah. Like you said, a bad choice is I had a taquito and a Red Bull for breakfast.
0: Yeah.
1: I decided to follow TikTok trend. Basically, any of them, that would be a bad choice. Back in 2009, in August, uh, Tarina Billings reached out to the sheriff to tell them something. According to her, her father had allegedly witnessed a body in the basement of Pazuzu's house, concealed beneath layers of cat litter and bleach to mask the stench. Allen, the father, initially admitted to assisting in burying body parts in the backyard, but later recanted his statement when confronted by the sheriff's investigator, Detective Foster. During this revelation, Alan did admit that Pazuzu had purportedly shot someone just three days earlier. Acting on this disturbing information, Detective Foster visited Pazuzu's home where the self-proclaimed Satanist surprisingly allowed him to conduct a search. Authorities, however, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is something that happens a lot on these TV shows, so.
0: Well, it also does show well, either he's a complete sociopath, psychopath, whatever you want to call it. And it's just like, oh, sure. Satan will protect me if you come in and, you know, look for bodies. Or he just really is that disconnected that, oh, come on in. You won't find anything. I mean, there's satanic stuff everywhere, blood everywhere, rotting carcasses everywhere, you know, animals. Uh Yeah, come on in. There's Nothing out of the ordinary here, but what happened?
1: Well, uh, the authorities dismissed the scent of chlorine and cat litter, attributing it to the 15 cats and swimming pool that they had, deeming it unremarkable and overlooking what should have probably been a red flag.
0: Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, okay, so you go, you're allowed in. Come on in. Check it out. All right, well, we can't necessarily find a a dead human in here. Okay, I, I can buy that. I mean, 15 cats, dude, that's insane. You bury somebody under bags of cat litter and bleach. I understand that maybe you can't smell that distinctive smell of human decay. But when you are looking at these slides, which I'm sure you'll be putting up throughout this, can you say, hey, this is unfit for human habitation we're we're closing your house down brother i don't it doesn't necessarily matter so much that there may or may not be a dead body but th- you can't live here this is not yeah. okay so
1: yeah uh the two dogs that we have I'm sure I told you they came from a hoarder house. I don't know if I've said it on here before. I probably have mentioned something about it before, but the reason that house was even like discovered to be a problem in the first place was one of the kids was trying to leave. Mm -hmm. She was like 17 at the time. She was like, I can't live here anymore. She was trying to get somebody to pick her up. Mm -hmm. Police got called. The police showed up and immediately they were like, no, nobody can live here. Right. Like, you go ahead and go with your aunt or whoever came to pick you up. You know, we're going to get, like, this rescue out to take care of these cats. And then the rescue was like, we don't do dogs. And that's where, you know, one of them that was there knew me and called me. But, yeah, as soon as the police showed up for an, a basically an unrelated thing, they're like, oh, no, no. Yeah. No people can live in here. So it is pretty bizarre.
0: <clears throat> it's just weird, man
1: so detective foster eventually spoke with stacy carter who was josh wetzel's i guess romantic partner yeah because it we are no it's just referred to as partner but yeah i would assume it's a girlfriend something like that yeah carter said that she had heard from a friend that pazuzu was responsible for josh's death or maybe it was just suspected death and there was just a disappearance at this time yeah so there even more details about Algorod's house, or Pazuzu's house, I keep kind of going back and forth, continued to unfold as a one-time visitor recounted a gruesome video. So they've apparently had video footage taken in this place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in this footage, Pazuzu was shown wielding a knife and sporting a bloody bandana. The visitor claimed that she was informed about the fate of Joshua Wetzler, alleging that they had trapped him in the basement subjected him to starvation shot him and then gruesomely dismembered him burying the remains in pieces disturbingly she added that crystal matlock seemed to take pride in confessing her involvement with these heinous acts the autopsy report on joshua wetzer revealed the brutal extent of the violence inflicted on him documenting three to four gunshot wounds to the head and numerous additional injuries to the torso
0: now if you think that Okay, so you're a medical examiner and yeah. you can't even tell how many gunshot wounds to the head. That's pretty crazy because, you know, with the science that they have, I mean, you know, they do 3D digital imaging of skulls and, and bones and stuff like that. And, you know, the the technology and techniques that they have and, and this guy's like, I don't even know, man, it, it was three or four. It was a lot. That's yeah. That's rough.
1: So, in the aftermath of uh, Algorod Birch's arrest, they eventually included the other fiance, twenty eight year old Crystal Matlock. She faced charges in connection with the death of an individual whose body was discovered, which we talked about before. She played a role in his burial. The firsthand account of the video, coupled with the autopsy findings, you know, kind of helped to flesh out the picture of what was going on here. Mm-hmm. And charges against Matlock highlighted the collaborative nature of the atrocities and the shared responsibility of those who were sort of stuck in Algorod's influence. Yeah. And, you know, just the depths of depravity and just sort of the nightmarish quality that it would have had to be in this house or stuck in any of this situation either is a victim or probably as somebody who had stopped in there just to see what all the fuss was about. (laughs) Can you imagine being somebody who's like, Oh, there's this guy. He's, he's like a rebel man. He's letting people stay at his house. And there's like always parties going on and you show up and they're just shitting on the floor, dead animals all over the place. And they're murdering people in the basement. You're like, well, this,
0: they just fought all the time too. Like dudes just threw down. I mean, it's a, it's something I don't think most of us can relate to, thankfully, but it is out there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, everything good upside down at this place. From
1: what we understand, allegedly Algorod killed Wetzler in July of 2009 and buried the body with assistance from Birch. Mm-hmm. Birch allegedly killed Welch in October of 2009, and Algorod helped with that burial. Maybe there was some transactional nature to that.
0: Maybe. You help me with
1: this one, so I'll help you with this one. Both of these people died as a result of gunshots to the head. Uh, Wetzler went missing in 2009, with the remains being found in the backyard. Soon after the remains were found, county housing officials finally deemed the home unfit (laughs) for human habitation. In April of 2015, the house was demolished, which we have a picture of, so I can throw that up. Mm -hmm. Neighbors probably could not be happier that the house (laughs) was finally gone. (laughs) Yeah, the timeline of all of this just finally became clear. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about what life would have been like under an Algorod's, what, thrall, enthrall? How would you say (laughs) that? Whatever, I won't try to be into it.
0: Yeah, so we'll talk about his reign of terror after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The Grim Saga of Pazuzu Algarad reached its conclusion in the early hours of October 28, 2015, when he was discovered dead in his prison cell at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. The official ruling was suicide as Algorod had bled to death from a deep cut on his left arm. The instrument used for his gruesome act remained undisclosed, adding an element of mystery. So this guy, and and we've seen it like with Epstein and some people, like "Eh, these people really commit suicide. And so this prison is not, really releasing what he used to cut himself. And, you know, some people say, oh, he probably used his sharpened teeth and, and stuff like that. But I think they would say, you know, we found a huge bite mark on his arm and I almost, it sounds to me almost like they're trying to evade some sort of responsibility, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, he said he wanted to shave. So we gave him a razor blade or something like that. But in any case, they were bound by a sealed safekeeping order and refrained from divulging specific details during a press conference. And to me, I just hate to see that, you know, like I understand that there's probably secrets the government needs to keep to, you know, keep its citizens I guess, sane and, and safe, you know, like there's certain things that you don't want to get out. You don't want mass hysteria or mass panic, but when you're just saying, I can't say anything. It just really makes it sound suspicious. And I'm not sad that the guy's gone. You know, I, I, think that he was super sick, but if, if you're, put in prison you have the right to be safe as well and you have the right to live and hopefully at some point even if you never get out maybe you can change for the better maybe you can help someone else maybe you can be studied and you know the psychiatrist can say well you know this this is what contributed to your you know, your mental erosion, I guess. Um, and, and I just hate to see people, you know, just say, well, we're not going to talk about it. We'll, we'll let you know in 30 years when everybody that was involved is dead. So that to me it is a red flag for the prison system. But in any case, it was revealed that he allegedly attempted to bite into his own arm but that's just kind of put out there. That's not like an official statement. And like I said, if if you bite your own wrist, the prison has nothing to hide, right? The Dude's crazy. Yeah. We know that. He bit his own arm and died. So this is interesting to me because we heard about him filing his teeth to points. But in the autopsy report, now there was you know damaged teeth but they didn't say anything about his teeth being filed to points and that could be kind of uh you know i guess window dressing like oh this guy was crazy and he did this and somebody else is like yeah and he had pointy teeth yeah and he did this and he did that yeah i don't think your your teeth grow back if you sharpen them to points am am i wrong about that
1: (laughs) No, not as far as I'm aware. They don't, like, regain that girth or anything. (laughs) Right.
0: So, on March 9, 2017, Amber Birch, one of Algorod's wives and accomplices, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, armed robbery, and accessory after the fact to murder. The charges stemmed from her, you know, killing of Tommy Dean Welch, And prosecutors revealed that Birch had shot Welch twice in the head with a 22 caliber rifle, as he sat on a couch, cementing her role in the horrifying events. (sighs) Man, I I mean, just the coldness. You know, this guy is, you know, maybe he's not your best friend or whatever, but he's somebody that you've interacted with. He's somebody that's accepted your lifestyle and you're just going to be like, boom, dead. It's crazy. Birch was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years and eight months in prison with a maximum of 39 years and two months. Crystal Matlock, his other wife, if you will, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to accessory after the fact of first degree murder in June of 2017. And she was sentenced to a minimum of three years and two months with a maximum of four years and 10 months in prison. Although a few years have passed since Pazuzu Agarod cast a shadow on Clemens, the Satan worshiper continues to live on in infamy for his bizarre and horrific crimes in North Carolina. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about his mental health. And this is this is from a YouTube video by Dr. Todd Grand. And you can watch the whole video on YouTube. He does a great job. He does his best to kind of analyze and somewhat, somewhat diagnose because he hasn't actually spoken with the person that he's diagnosing. So he's doing this based on the information available. but he he's got a great channel. He does this all about serial killers and, and all kinds of different things. So check out uh, Todd Grand's YouTube page. but that's where we're getting this following information from. But he did his best to kind of break this down. So tell us a little bit about
1: that. Uh, so multiple disorders here, most likely a fairly complex situation. The primary diagnosis includes panic disorder with agoraphobia, alcohol dependence, alcohol withdrawal, and schizotypical personality disorder, or SPD. Closer examination of his mental health history highlights three main elements, anxiety and panic, unusual thoughts and beliefs indicative of SPD, and a significant alcohol consumption pattern likely used to cope with the anxiety and panic associated with SPD. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, one illness causing another. Mm-hmm. The manifestations of SPD and Algorod's behavior align with the disorder's nine symptom criteria. The first criteria involves ideas of reference, where everyday occurrences are attributed special meaning or personal significance, albeit not rising to the level of delusions. This contributes to the paranoia often associated with SPD. The second criteria includes odd beliefs or magical thinking like they are a gatekeeper. <laughs> While well, the third involves unusual perceptual experiences such as hearing voices or experiencing sensations, not grounded in reality. Sounds like every moment in that house would be an experience, not grounded in reality. Yeah. His behavior though, not reaching the severity of schizophrenia is influenced by these symptomatic features. The fourth symptom of SPD is odd thought and speech, which likely contributed to his distinctive communication style. The fifth is suspicious or paranoid thoughts, reflective of the pervasive nature of paranoia in individuals with this disorder. Sixth is incongruous or limited effect, impacting emotional expression. Seventh involves odd eccentric or peculiar behavior and appearance, check check and check which is evident in algarod's reported activities and lifestyle the eighth criteria a lack of close friends or confidants alliance with his limited social interactions beyond first degree relatives i mean it sounds like some of the friends or acquaintances that he had he would just killed anyway yeah finally the ninth symptom of excessive social anxiety mainly relates to paranoid fears and stands out in Algorod's case due to its unrelenting nature, not diminishing with familiarity as seen in typical cases. Overall, his mental health history underscores the complexity of his psychological profile, entwining anxiety, paranormal, paranormal? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, I'm not going to start over. Paranoia and substance dependence. The SPD diagnosis provides a framework for understanding the unusual thoughts beliefs and behaviors that defined his disturbing actions so this case had it all satan worship drugs orgies self-harm murder mental illness failed parenting and enabling and in our opinion shoddy police work up to and including the details of pazuzu's alleged suicide final thoughts after a
0: quick break Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, so I've got a kind of a list to go through here for final thoughts. So sure. his appearance in hygiene. Now, did he really believe that he was a gatekeeper to hell? That's that's something that we have to consider. But he certainly tried to make himself look evil. Um, you know, at this time... There was a lot of uh, a lot going on in the Middle East, as there usually is. But he <laughs> wore uh, what, what do they call the uh, like the scarf that they kind of put on their head with like a little um, uh, headband The
1: women wear or that no, the, men wear? The,
0: the men wear?
1: I don't know what that's called.
0: Well, he, he You're talking about and- the one
1: that looks like the top of a jam jar. Yeah. The like, the the sort of checkered pattern thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. Never heard it described that way, but yes, that's exactly (laughs) it. Uh, So he tried, and and if he did or didn't file his teeth down, that would obviously be, uh, you know, a change in his appearance. And the hygiene thing, I just can't get. I mean, I understand that you know, there's this theory that we have, or I guess not really a theory, but uh, we have good bacteria on our hands and we don't want to get rid of all the good bacteria because that eats some of the, you know, germs and stuff that you might get on your hands. And I think that maybe that's something that he maybe be twisted in, or, or just didn't understand, you know, like, oh, that the bacteria, the good bacteria will come back. It's okay to wash your hands, you know, Uh, that he maybe took that to the extreme and thought like, well, you know, I'm so dirty that even diseases won't want me, you know, what do you think about the hygiene thing?
1: I don't know. I kind of feel like the hygiene thing, it might've just been part of like a backstory he was trying to set up for himself. I feel like the appearance, it's all just stuff to like we were saying, reject normal society Mm -hmm. and i don't know that i believe the hygiene thing because for
0: with with the way he taking it like the way he did it or that he that he took more than one bath a year
1: i think he probably took more than one bath a year because i mean he doesn't look good Mm -hmm. but he doesn't look dirty yeah in the pictures that we have like you'd think you'd look a little bit dirty or greasy or something if you hadn't bathed in a year.
0: Oh, that's that high depth 360.
1: (laughs) I think it's probably all part of that, you know, his his story and all that. And his house, I mean, if we want to keep moving along through your list, I think the house thing was probably the same thing, like just part of this um, overall rejection of society which to an extent i get there are certain things where it's like the housing market is screwed i don't want to i don't want to participate because mm-hmm. i had that thought before like why don't kim and i just go buy like a you know big rv or something or like a I don't know one of these tiny houses that you can haul or just anything that's doesn't feed into like this housing bubble that we're going into mm-hmm. but it's never gone to like All of society is terrible. I'm gonna stop bathing and file my teeth down into points so I can look like Killer Croc (laughs) from Batman. I don't know. I do I do feel like the house thing is like part of just the lifestyle he was trying. You know, if they're saying that the mother's room was like kind of beautiful and perfect, then maybe that's what he was trying to rebel against by just being like, Yeah, just throw shit on the ground. If the dog brings a dead rabbit and just leave it. Or if you mm-hmm. shoot something outside just bring it in mm-hmm. and leave it or whatever
0: well there's also the fact that it was the opposite right like maybe her room wasn't immaculate and perfect and everything was in its place and dusted maybe it just looked perfect because it was being compared to the yeah. And, yeah and i think his house is representative of what's going on in his brain if you look at that house and you could peer into his head. I, I think that's what it looked like inside his head too. Hmm. But in any case, let's talk about probable cause. So they were told that somebody, the authorities were told that someone was murdered inside this house. Right. right. And they're just like, well, we're going to need more than that. Well, what the? What do you mean you need more than that? Well, you want me? <sighs> I have to go back and take pictures. You want me to drag the body out for you? I mean.
1: But like That'd be great. Could you just tie it to the hood of your truck like a deer and you know, out of here for, uh, drive it out of here for us?
0: I, I mean, it, this is a case where you should have used probable cause. Now, eventually they went to the house and he let them in. But if you would have done it, you know, at the first inkling, I, I believe it would have saved, um, I, I think it would have saved Wetzel's life because the the first guy they didn't kill in the house they basically like they they went to a river and they were supposed to go out in like a canoe or a boat or something and this kid got shot in the back of the head and then that's when the guy's like oh it was an accident come on you you accidentally shots i mean now i know that you know bullets tend to find people right like we hear about drive by shootings and you never hit the target. It's always a baby in the third floor nursery or, you know, someone walking with a stroller or something like that. But I mean, just, yeah, just, no, we, we accidentally shot him in the back of the head and and then accidentally again. And, you know, they could have saved a life. I mean, if, if someone, like if someone tells me, Hey, there's, you know, comes running out of their house and, and they're like, oh, my God, my baby's not breathing. My baby's not breathing. I need help. I'm not going to be like, well, I don't know. I'm going to need some more evidence before I go and try and do infant CPR. Uh, could you mm-hmm. take a picture of the baby? Bring it out here and let me see that. the ba- You know what I mean? No, you're going to run into the house and try and save the baby. And yeah. they didn't do that.
1: Yeah, that's a little weird. It's more than a little bit weird.
0: So I I think that there has to be a little bit of blame placed on the, on the police department's decision not to act on that probable cause, but let's move on to Cynthia. Do you think that Cynthia should have done some time? Because I don't think we got into that, but she didn't do any time. So I don't know. I don't know that I
1: totally understand her. Um, sort of role in all of it
0: it was unclear in the research like did she spend you know like normal people uh you know we work for eight hours you know maybe we spend a half hour drive to and from work we maybe go out to dinner grocery shopping whatever but spend you know at least 12 hours a day in your house yeah you know it's possible that you know she she was out of the house as much as possible, which would make sense. But she said what she saw and and it wasn't, it wasn't, Oh, I I didn't see anything. I mean, I heard a pop, but I didn't know what happened. No, she knew exactly what happened and just let them do their thing.
1: Yeah. I, she probably should have actually at least, some kind of accessory after the fact sort of thing because she was essentially hiding it. Right. She was just saying, "This is not my problem. I'm mm-hmm. not going to let anybody in here to look at anything. I'm just going to ignore it and sweep it under the rug in a way." And if she would
0: have said, "Man, I was terrified. I was terrified. They told me they were going to kill me if I said anything. Yeah. I could have some compassion for that, and I, I would probably have believed that." But she never said that. She just said. Right. Hey, um, whatever, they're just kids being kids. Did you need some more uh alcohol, Pazuzu? <laughs> you know, I mean, she she should have been charged and, and I don't know what the uh statute of limitations is, but for the things she admitted, yeah, I bought a 14 and 15 year old alcohol every day. But couldn't you at least get her for contributing to the delinquency of a minor? Because you know, she has to pay for something. And I don't know if it was the fact that there was this dichotomy, like if she had looked like him and had the same kind of room or had a drug problem or something, maybe she would have been treated different. But I I think that because she was like, Oh, I'm just, you know, I I was kind of a prisoner in my own home and look at me. I'm a good person. and, And I take showers almost every day. And, Uh, Mm -hmm. that maybe they saw her as more of a victim than she really was because she has a huge role to play in all this from the get-
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking throughout this is maybe they look at her as sort of a victim because she was kind of trapped in there. She might have felt like ignoring it was the only option or that to call attention to it or allow the police in would have put her in danger. Yeah. I don't know. That's my, it's my thought. Yeah.
0: So the murders were brutal and overkill. I I mean, you don't, you know, if you're just trying to end somebody's life, you don't shoot them four times in the head. And it it was just a a brutal way to die. The way that the corpses were treated after death. I, I know that, you know, some people say, well, they're dead. It doesn't really matter. but to me, it does. I mean, I don't want to be drawn and quartered and buried in pieces in somebody's backyard and treated like the garbage that's spread throughout the house. And I I think that that shows a complete lack of regard for human life. And when you have a complete lack of regard for human life, I don't know if that can be rehabilitated.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Same,
0: same. Do you think people were under his spell or do you think that these, uh, accomplices were just that just accomplices like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll help with this. Or or do you think they were, you know, like we, we talk uh, about, uh, Manson and how, you know, his followers shaved their heads and carved Nazi signs into their foreheads and then like crawled on their hands and knees for blocks to get to the courthouse. Um, I I don't feel like these women were like manipulated and under his spell. I think they were complicit with everything.
1: Yeah, I do too. Especially since we have sources saying that they were talking about what they had done with pride. Mm -hmm. It seems like they... It's not so much of a spell as he's proposing this alternative lifestyle, we can call it, that was very maybe freeing and they were just into it for a while. And maybe they bought into this stuff that like what is bad is good. Yeah. So they just went with it. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. The spell would have been having them live in this environment where the real world is feels like it's miles away. Even though it's right outside the door.
0: And then we've got mental health. I think that it's 100% clear that Pazuzu was suffering from multiple mental health issues and needed a lot of help. And that's where it goes back to his mother.
1: Yeah, yeah. It brings me right back to what you were talking about at the very beginning of this. That if he had had the treatment that he probably needed as a kid and it continued there, I mean, these two people would still be alive. These two women might not have been, you know, turned to this kind of life. Mm-hmm. You know, we might not be talking about this at all. He might've just been rehabilitated and come out, you know, totally, you know, able to contribute to society with ways to, you know, the issues resolved or a, a coping mechanism that worked other than alcohol yeah, and I don't know. It's it's scary to think that there are people like that who need treatment mm-hmm. who can't get it.
0: Yeah, and there there are so many
1: examples. I mean, that's what the movie Joker was about, basically. Yeah, is like what happens when society basically completely abandons somebody who needs help. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been. I just saw, God, what was it on like Channel Four last night? I think I was just flipping through the antenna. I was looking for something on Mm -hmm. and they were doing a story about how parts of Missouri don't have childcare Mm -hmm. and it's not that there's no way to pay for it. It's that there are no providers in certain parts, like more rural outside of the
0: St.
1: Louis area, I would think. But because of course, a metro area of like three and a half or 4 million people is going to have childcare, but when you get into some of these smaller areas, yeah, you're probably not going to have it. And what do you do if you're in, I, mean, I don't know how big Clemens is. Maybe they don't have the resources to commit to helping people. And if they're like, eh, it's just a kid, he's acting out, but what are you going to do?
0: Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I don't want to like push big pharma, obviously. I, I think if you've heard the shows, you know, I'm pretty anti, but I'm anti for like, oh, my skin's a little itchy. So I take this pill and and I'm not talking about any specific illness. So I'm just using this as an example. Um, so I take this pill and then it's got all these side effects. So I have to take this pill for all these side effects. And then there's more side effects that I have to take more pill But if you think you're the gatekeeper to hell and you can change the weather and you're killing people, yeah being put on some heavy meds that may dumb you down and slow mm-hmm. you down and, uh, you know, affect you in ways that you're not super thrilled with. That's what these heavy meds are for to keep someone like him from killing people. Yeah. And, and it just wasn't, it just either wasn't available, or, you know, there, I think that it's kind of a defense mechanism too, to be like, Oh, well, we didn't have the money. Well, you had money to buy him 20 bucks of alcohol every night. You know, I mean, you had money for that. Uh, you, you apparently didn't look too deep to try and find care because you know, like I said, you you just hook up with a social worker and take it from there. But it's not like she said oh well i tried this and, and it didn't work and i couldn't get funding for this and they turned him away here it was like well we just couldn't afford it so i just got him liquor and yeah that's not okay yeah in any case i guess that's all we've got for you tonight crypt keepers ryan you want to run through just real quick what they need to know
1: yeah, please like, subscribe, all that stuff. Share the show with somebody you think will like it. That is still, of course, the best way to help us spread. You can email us at crypticpodcast.gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Jokes. Actually, I'd love some paranormal jokes, some ghost jokes, something like that. Something like, Apparently, it's mainly a St. Louis thing, but at Halloween here. When kids trick-or-treat, they're actually supposed to do a trick or tell a joke or something like that to earn their treat. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which, it's trick-or-treat. I thought that was what the name meant. Like, you do the one for the other, but... I don't know, maybe it's like, you give us a treat or we're gonna play some trick on you. Anyway, give us your Halloween joke. I just bring it up that it's maybe a local thing because I've had so many coworkers Who came here from somewhere else... Who are like, what's this joke thing? Like, I took my kid trick-or-treating last night and everybody wants a joke send us like a send us a lame halloween joke we'd like something like that it'd be a nice way to lighten up some of these episodes to read some user provided stuff for user listener listener sorry my coder brain (laughs) for those of you don't know i'm coding is my day job (laughs) anyway yeah email us if you have stories, if you have somebody like this, maybe there's another case kind of like this that we've not heard of or not covered, let us know. You can find our designs over dot com and you can help us keep the lights on and the server's warm at com slash PI.
0: And remember, the next time your neighbor pisses you off, just be glad it's not Pazuzu. He made Rick James look Amish. <laughs> Good evening, Crypt Keepers.